welcome to Voices in the Wilderness. We're a show on science and faith and that addresses questions posed by skeptics and both Christian and non-Christian, people who are struggling to reconcile their faith with science, um, people who are deconstructing or reconstructing or rearranging the, the spiritual books on the shelves of their heart. Um, we bring various voices into the conversation to open paths for people who wander to connect with Jesus on their journey. Uh, if you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube, feel free to drop your comments or questions into the chat boxes and we'll keep an eye out for them. Hopefully we'll have time to uh, ask and answer some of your questions. Today, we have the pleasure of, of Faith Stoltz as our guest on the show. Faith Stoltz is the program manager at BioLogos, where she helps Christian educators bring science and faith discussion into their classrooms. She has a master's degree in astronomy and science education and has spent the last decade developing curricula for NASA, researching science pedagogy and teaching high school physics and astronomy at Christian high schools. Faith's passion for science education and for healing the church's relationship with science came out of her experience as a science loving kid growing up at Christian schools. Welcome Faith, thanks for joining us today. Of course, my pleasure. So why don't you just kind of introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us about your religious background and spiritual journey. Sure, yeah. Um, as you mentioned in the intro there, um, I grew up in a Christian family, going to Christian schools all through elementary, through high school, and um, in many ways had an incredibly positive experience. I. Um, yeah, I found a lot of richness in the in the faith tradition that I was raised in and enjoyed um, exploring that, learning more about God, and, um, and particularly was always uh, just a science-loving kid. I um, figured out biology was not my calling when I, I found an earthworm in the, uh, in the garden, and I thought that, I think I'd learned that some lizards, if you break their tail off, it'll regrow, and I thought that maybe earthworms would do the same, so I tore it in half, and then it just died. So biology was was never going to be a good fit for me, but I fell in love with with space uh, when my my grandfather showed me Jupiter through a telescope, and by the time I was 16, I'd saved up for my first telescope and was hooked on astronomy and space ever since. So a lot of my growing up was around uh, spending a lot of time outside looking at the sky, but also doing church and youth group and Bible class at school and thinking about kind of both of those things, often in very separated buckets in my head um, until I went to college and studied both and had a lot of big questions to work through. It's really funny because I attended a Christian school for a while and in ninth grade for my science fair project, I planted 100 African violets in mm. two different soils with two different light types of lighting to see which group would grow best. And I killed 97 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Decided that biology and botany were not for me either. So yeah yeah that's it's I, tough. I kind of resonate with your um I, I didn't kill any animals but i did kill a lot of plants and i i'm still not very good with gardening um, i no me neither okay. yeah okay. <laughs> so um so was your christian school open to science i know the one i attended was yeah. very much um i had to relearn everything after high school yeah, you know, I think as as an adult, having had some conversations with some of my teachers at, later on, um, I think that there was actually a, a wide variety of perspectives within uh, my science teachers and the, the school as a whole. But I think as often happens, the, the most vocal teachers were the ones who held more young earth creationist views. And so I distinctly remember being in a seventh grade life science class and watching this VHS, VHS tape about all of the questions to ask to stump an, an evolutionist, you know, what about the transition fossils and what about dinosaurs and all of this stuff. And it just, it, it struck me as so odd because so much of every other piece of my science education at these Christian schools was about how great is it that God made butterflies and how great is it that God did this. And, and then suddenly you would get to these topics and science was suddenly 
anti-God and atheistic and something to be wary and on your guard against. Um, so I found that just very confusing. My freshman biology class just didn't address evolution at all. And um, as, we, as we already know, biology was not my calling. So that was my last biology class and moved on to physics and chemistry where we just really didn't talk about those science and faith issues very much. Um, but I remember having this thought in, in high school that it confused me because it seemed like maybe God could have used evolution to create and that that could have been a mechanism that he used, but nobody mentioned that as an option. And surely if it, surely if that was an option, they would have mentioned it. And so there must be something that I was missing. So I kind of dismissed it as there must be something I don't know. That means that doesn't make sense. And it turns out I, I don't think I was actually that far off. Um, so it's, uh, there was a lot. So then I went to college and learned much more about evolution and big bang cosmology, found the science incredibly compelling and found a lot of great resources, um, that showed me that that science, um, and, and my faith really could work together. Well, it's a privilege to have you on the show, Faith. Uh, I just wanted to let the viewers know that, uh, we are, we're live on both Facebook and YouTube, if you want to add a question or make a comment, you can do so in the chat section there. Um, I, I'm just curious from what you just said. You said when you went to college, now we study kind of deconstruction and we walk with people who are, you know, going down that path. And going to university, um, from the young earth or from the creationist side is, is, is kind of like, oh, uh, I don't know, um, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, where, where, you, where you slip into Vanity Fair, or the Slav Despond, and, uh, <laughs> and it, it seems to be a crossroads where, you know, famously Ken Ham co-wrote a book called They're Already Gone, talking <laughs> about how seven out of 10 evangelical youth leave after university and don't come back. So I'm, I'm curious, in your own experience, did you, did you have any friction between faith and the science that you were learning? Um, how did you navigate that? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, I think my story is, a little different than most. I think the the typical story, one that we hear a lot at BioLogos, is that you grow up in a uh, conservative um, Christian evangelical family and community, and you go off to college and you hear these the evidence for things like evolution, and suddenly you you feel you're like you have to choose between science and faith in this big dramatic faith crisis, and that that really wasn't. The way that I experienced it. I think despite some teacher, some influences that did have that strict warfare model between science and faith, I think my parents and a number of other important teachers and influences in my life really encouraged in general critical thinking and asking questions and room for room for doubt. And that made it clear to me that those were okay things to experience in my Christian faith. Um, and they weren't saying that in reference to science topics necessarily, but that was a, um, a, a, an, uh, an aspect of my faith that I knew was okay to engage with. Um, and so I didn't, I went to college being keenly aware that within the Christian community that I came from, there was a perception of conflict between science and faith, but I never really internalized that conflict. It always felt like they should work together. And I just kind of hadn't figured out how those pieces quite fit. So when I uh, studied astrophysics and learned about, about Big Bang cosmology and this incredible process through which the universe starts as this soup of gluon plasma and and expands and 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 collapses into stars and galaxies and planets and stellar nuclear fusion that creates all of the elements you know it's just like this incredible story on the cosmic level and then you add in the incredible story of evolution it seemed to me to be a beautiful incredible 
um, process through which God created instead of an alternative story. Um, so for me, and I had some people speaking into my life in that process to, to help me kind of see that narrative. Um, so for me personally, it wasn't, didn't feel like there was a choice. It was more about learning more about, um, about the science and having some people help me um, sort of see that there were some other, other ways that Christians can make sense of it. I double majored in both astronomy and religion. And honestly, it was my religion classes at a, a secular, small liberal arts, very emphasis on the secular. Um, it was my religion classes that were much more challenging to my faith because I was learning about what what other people believed and why and how their faith traditions answered big questions about why they're suffering in the world and how we got here and what life means. and those were much harder questions for me to grapple with as a Christian. And in fact, it was going back to my astronomy classes and looking at, at a Hubble deep field image of 10,000 galaxies in one picture that I would say, gosh, I don't know how to, how to answer all of these, you know, metaphysical questions. But when I look at a universe like that, I, my gut just tells me there's got to be somebody behind it. So for me, the science was actually more of a stabilizing force for my faith um, than anything else, uh, despite what many teachers and and pastors expected. And I would come home from college and they'd say, how are those science classes going? You know, are they are they trying to get you to give up your faith? And I'm like, honestly, they're they're what's holding me together right now. Mm. That's, that's, uh, I, I didn't have a, a faith crisis around the science either. Although I certainly felt betrayed that what I, what my church and school had told me was, was not accurate, not true. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't drive like a faith crisis for the same, kind of the same reason. It just seemed to me that, that God was behind it all. Um, in fact, when I would struggle with with faith, having doubts or questions, I would I would often come back to the idea, you know, that's kind of the why is there something and and not nothing, and um, which of course isn't really a science question anyway. But um, so now you're a science educator and you're the program manager at BioLogos, and you guys have this great new curriculum. I have I have it up on my iPad here. This integrated integrate <laughs> curriculum that's um, all of the modules are available. And tell us just a little bit about, about this integrate curriculum, because I know several families that started homeschooling during COVID. And, yeah. and when I saw what was going on in the public schools and even in some of the Christian schools with mandates to do school from home and then back into the building and it was just crazy, right? It was super crazy. And how do you keep up and how those who were concerned about um, keeping their family safe from COVID, uh, maybe didn't want to send the kids back to school. And those who had kids who couldn't read, how do you learn to read at home? How do you work on a, do school from home if your kid isn't even reading and if you work? And it was just, it was, it was hard. It was just hard. Um, no matter, there weren't, there weren't a lot of good choices. So a lot of people chose to homeschool which probably was the best option in this situation. But so many of those families that I know who started homeschooling chose curriculum that I know is going to leave those kids feeling betrayed if they go through a similar path as what I did. Um, mm -hmm. simple, simplistic interpretations of scripture. It's not scientifically accurate. Um, I, I just have... I, my heart just hurts for, for what those kids might deal with in a crisis of faith down the road, um, which isn't guaranteed, but, but could happen um, by families who maybe chose curriculum, not even really looking at the issues. So tell us about your option and, and how that could be a fit for some people. Yeah. I mean, I resonate with everything that you're saying, um, both within a homeschooling capacity and in Christian schools. Um, we, BioLogos has been uh, getting requests for curriculum for as long as we've been in existence. But writing the curriculum is a huge endeavor and um, 
and not to be undertaken lightly. So we spent a lot of time talking to teachers and homeschool parents about what exactly it is that they were looking for in a curriculum. And what we heard was that there are, especially in the biology space, there's plenty of curriculum, textbooks and resources out there to teach the science, whether it's cells and and botany or more you know controversial things like evolution and climate change uh there are great uh, you know secular science resources out there um what they're lacking is something that handles the faith piece in a way that takes that science seriously so as a christian educator either in a classroom or in a home education setting your choices were really either to use a secular textbook or a, um, a Christian textbook that comes at it mostly from a young earth creationist standpoint. Um, and they, there's no middle ground there. So the, what we decided to do was to not to reinvent the biology textbook wheel, but to say, if you're starting with this secular science textbook that has fabulous science and is, is teaching it well, but what you as a Christian educator want is to bring faith into conversation with that science. Let's create a resource, a supplemental curriculum that does that for, for parents and teachers, and that they don't need to be a biologist or a theologian in order to engage their, their students around these questions. So the integrate curriculum is technically a supplementary curriculum, so you would use it alongside another textbook that's actually teaching the science and it is organized into 15 different units that cover different topics within the science and faith conversation. Some of them are general like um, talking about science and faith as two different ways of knowing and talking about how science can actually be a really rich vocation for Christians. Um, and some of them are more, most of them are more topical talking about cells or genetics or DNA technologies or um, um, evolution and fossils and climate change and biodiversity and all sorts of these topics that we think faith has something to be, something to say, not necessarily answers to give, but conversation uh, to be offered. So the idea is that you would, if you're going through your evolution unit in your secular textbook, you can bring in activities and, and discussion questions from Integrate to say, hey, we just learned about this idea of natural selection in our biology textbook. Let's, let's think about what does it mean that we're made in the image of God if we share a common ancestor with other, other animals and in fact, all of life on earth sort of what does that mean? So really the hope of Integrate is, the goal is not to provide students with the answers. Um, the goal is to help them to, to ask good questions and think critically about them and figure out what they believe and why. Um, and to give them the, the scientific resources, the intellectual resources, and the biblical and theological resources to, to work out some of that stuff for themselves. But to create a, a safe space for question asking is really at the real at the heart of it. Yeah, I've gone through some of the most of the modules, and I really like some of the discussion about random because um, I think that's an idea that's often misunderstood. Uh, I, I thought the little segment on intelligent design was useful, uh, and I really like some of the stuff you had about um, diversity and people with disabilities. Uh, I, I found those those units particularly interesting um, from my perspective. So uh, I'm excited for your curriculum. Do you guys have any plans to make stuff for younger kids? Because I think a lot of times, at least families that I know, they kind of get hooked into the young earth creation perspective when the kids are really little. Sure. Um, and you know, I'm not sure that I don't I don't think integrate is necessarily going to work at that level. And by the time the kids are in high school, those families might not be open to it. Sure. Yeah. We, um, we think a lot about that younger age group elementary, um, is an interesting, it's kind of a tough nut to crack when it comes to the science and faith discussion, because you're not going to sit your seven-year-old down and say, all right, you've got your young earth creationists over here and your progressive creationists and your intelligent design, you know, like developmentally, it's not where they're at. Um, and so you have to think about um, 
what the way that I think about that age group is we want to set a foundation for at, for our kids of seeing the relationship between science and faith as one of complementarity and and in and, and and mutual enhancement, not one of conflict. Um, and and that doesn't mean that we're talking about evolution with six year olds. It means that we're talking about um, about how things that we can recognize God in the creation around us and pointing out scientists who are Christians or thinking about um, uh, the, the, the beauty of creation as a, as a way to worship God. Things that, that bring science and faith into positive contact with each other to set that tone of these things um, have like have a relationship with each other, um, but are and are not in conflict. And as you get the kids get older, you can start to explore some of those topics in more depth. You can start, you know, you get into late elementary, junior high. You can start thinking about the Genesis account and learning about other origins accounts that were in the ancient Near East from from Babylonia and and Persia, and and thinking, hmm different cultures had some some similar and some differences between their creation stories. What does this tell us about God? What is the idea of this being poetry? How does that change how we read this? You can start kind of building in those ideas. So you don't, you, you know, I felt like I was taught that Genesis was this historical account. And then, you know, you, you know, you get to high school or college and suddenly someone drops a bomb on you that it's what it's a poem. Oh my God. I had no idea. Um, so all that to say, I think it's really important to talk to little kids about this in a, um, a developmentally appropriate way. We have dreams of developing an elementary um, uh, component to integrate. I'm actually in the process of thinking up what my next grant proposal will be, and that is very much on the table. So um, hopefully that will be coming at some point soon, but we'll figure that out. Um, and in the meantime, we've got some suggestions online about uh, what you can be doing as a, as a parent or a teacher to engage um, little kids in, in appropriate science and faith conversations. At the risk of going off the rail here, I've got to interject. But uh, let me start by saying we've gotten a few comments on YouTube, uh, one from all the way from Malaysia. Dr. Ian Kai says, good morning from Malaysia. And then uh, this, yeah, this comment from Dr. Clark Van Gilder. I love the fact that the so-called secular science was the faith enhancer rather than faith destroyer. It's almost like truth and truth mix well. So um, I love disagreeing with my co-host, Christine, and I think she's going in totally the wrong direction by going down to elementary school. I actually think the problem with Christians and, and their need for remedial science starts in seminary. So, <laughs> so um, I'm not going to ask you if you have plans on, on putting together Integrate for, for Bible colleges and seminary, but your, your very response about how it wasn't the science classes that were the challenge, it was some of the theology classes. There seems to be kind of these two areas where science and faith come together and you mentioned an understanding of Genesis and how to read the proper genres in the Bible but um, a lot of times it is that understanding or misunderstanding of the Bible that kind of throws people off the track so does your integrate um, uh, does your curriculum talk about that beyond just simply Genesis? Does it, does it coach? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, um, I'll preface this with it's not intended for a seminary audience, although I couldn't agree more that there's a deep need for some, some science literacy within theological education because pastors are one of the primary people that Christians are going to go to when they have questions about their faith. And sometimes those questions are about science and faith. And um, the vast majority of pastors don't feel equipped to to engage those or or maybe don't have the science background to 
be engaging them well. Um, there actually are some programs out there that are working with seminaries to bring some, some science content into them, um, but that's another conversation. Um, that's not BioLogo, some other organizations are, are doing that great work. Um, within Integrate, there are two units that particularly touch on that. So the second unit is called Ways of Knowing, and it's essentially a, um, uh, it's basically about epistemology and thinking about science as a way of developing knowledge and theology, faith as, uh, as another form of knowledge. And it draws some parallels, some, some commonalities and some differences about how we generate knowledge and even truth in those two different realms and helps you think through what kinds of questions science and faith can are are prepared to address and which ones they're not and how to how to navigate when they feel like they're they're starting to touch a little bit so that's one that i think is really really important a soapbox that i will be happy to stand on anytime is the importance of understanding the nature of science in particular in thinking about science and faith issues there's so much misunderstanding about what science is, what it's capable of doing and what it's not, what a scientific claim sort of is based on and and how how seriously to take it from a sense of uncertainty levels and that sort of thing. So it tries to touch on some of those questions. And then unit eight is the unit that, if you were working through them chronologically, comes right before we, we step into evolution. And it's called Bible Interpretation and Science. And you know, we cannot cover all of hermeneutics, all of how one inter should be interpreting the Bible in one little uh, curriculum unit, but we try to take a stab at helping students understand that 10 different people reading the Bible might come to 10 different conclusions about what it's saying and that that's, that's maybe okay. Um, I mean, the sheer number of denominations is uh, evidence enough for the, the, um, the variety of, of ways that people can read the same passage. And there are definitely better or worse interpretations in, to, to some extent. You know, if you're reading Genesis and coming to the conclusion that snails rule the world or something like, clearly the text doesn't support that. But within the realm of, of reasonable interpretations, there's going to be some different viewpoints. And, and unity within the church means being in conversation and probably disagreeing on some stuff and being in conversation about that. And even maybe the church as a whole changing its its views on something. We use um, slavery as an example of something that Christians for a long time used the Bible as evidence to, to say that Christianity supported. And now you'd be hard pressed, I hope, to find a Christian who would who would make that argument. So we use that to kind of get into this idea of how do we read the Bible? What sort of things factor into how do we interpret it? And um, and that kind of lays the groundwork for them thinking about origins in particular. Well, I, I would say to you that the, the, the same could have been said of astronomy, but recently uh, the phenomenon of the flat earth has taken off again and is, is being fueled mostly by evangelical circles. So we might have to revisit yeah. that. I do want to add one more comment from Facebook before I hand the baton back to Christine. And this is um, Carlton says, many evangelicals would say that to agree with the current scientific models of evolution or astronomy or geology, etc., puts you in direct conflict with what they consider to be Christian doctrine. These are also many of the same folks that you find homeschooling or in Christian schools. What does the dialogue with them look like? Doesn't creating an integrated curriculum ask them to alter what they perceive as the correct way to look at their faith? Now, you might have just answered this, but I'm going to give you another swing at it, Faith, and, sure. and then we'll go I mean, with I, I think the short answer is that, yeah, you're right. There is a whole population um, for which one of the reasons why they go to Christian school or homeschool their kids is exactly in order to be able to um, teach their kids uh, a particular viewpoint on the Bible and science, amongst other things. And for those people, integrates, not for you. There's nothing I can do to, um, to convince them and I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think how you believe God created the universe is a fundamental issue of 
of doctrine. Um, what I, I believe, and I think um, what Biologos believes is that at the end of the day, the one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith is that God created the, the entire universe. And there is room within the Christian tent for different viewpoints on how he did that and when he did that. Um, at Biologos, we we happen to take the, the methods and the conclusions of science really seriously and find them very compelling. And they um, they give us a, a beautiful story of, of creation that we think is, is consistent with, with our interpretation of the Bible. Um, but yeah, if you um, if you're set on on a literal interpretation of Genesis as a bedrock for your faith, there's not much I can say to you, um, and and that's okay. Um, but I will say that that community of Christian schools and and even Christian homeschool families is a lot more diverse than people expect, and we have gotten a lot of interest within both of those communities of people who take their faith seriously, but also take science seriously and also take all sorts of other, you know, environmental issues and racial justice and all sorts of other issues that you might not always associate with evangelicalism. Um, and they're excited to be able to, to address um, those topics uh, in engagement with their faith in their Christian school and homeschool settings. So uh, are there ways to use this curriculum as like a Sunday school program or in a small group? Yeah, I think it's it's designed for a classroom, but it's uh, it is entirely adaptable. Especially if you have a knack for for these sorts of things, you could absolutely uh, look through it and pick out uh, some activities that would you think would be a good fit, say for your youth group or for your adult small group or something like that. So if you're an enterprising individual, absolutely. Uh, we are actually in the process right now, though, of of adapting it for the small group, sort of a, a adult small group um, church setting. So say you've got a group of your Bible study at church and you want to work through a science and faith topic. We're working on two different Bible studies that are uh, kind of loosely based on on integrate and tackling um, first the idea of the, of the image of God from sort of taking in some science perspective. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God if humans evolve from a common ancestor? And what does it mean to be made in the image of God if if some people um, are suffer from, from disabilities or have other other forms of of um, of diversity than than quote unquote normal or thinking about um, bioengineering and genetic editing. What does that tell us about what it means to be made in the image of God. So we're working on some resources for for adult classroom settings and um, and hopefully that could be useful in, in a number of other settings. So there's kind of a perception that I've noticed um, about BioLogos and people who take the science seriously that y'all put science above the authority of scripture um, that you want to fit in with the ungodly politics and scientific systems of the world instead of taking the bible literally or in the plain meaning of the text so how would you address this perception um i'll caveat with i am i am no biblical scholar but i'm happy to to share a little bit of my um my viewpoint, and um, I will direct you to uh, some great resources. John Walton has been a big influence for me personally in thinking about how I read the Bible, particularly around Genesis and these origins issues, which is usually the primary context for those sorts of comments. And um, the, the, the thing that Walton says that is helpful for me to, to keep in the back of my head anytime I'm reading the Bible is to remember that the Bible was written for us but not to us. Um, the Bible is one, it is an incredibly fascinating te historical text in itself written by dozens of different authors over a couple thousand year period in different historical and, and cultural contexts. It is a rich and complicated book that is certainly far from monolithic in its, um, in its, its writing style, its authorship, its audience, all of those things. And so interpreting, and 
it's not even written in English. It's written in these languages that the vast majority of us do not understand. My husband took a couple semesters of, of Greek in college and the little tidbits that he tells me makes me very thankful for English translations of the Bible. Um, and so I think you have to keep all of that in mind when you're reading scripture and approach it with a deep sense of humility that this is complicated stuff. Um, and it takes a lot of, a lot of background knowledge to, to, to make the most sense of it. And that doesn't mean that you need a seminary degree in order to read the Bible, but it does mean that some, some additional resources can sometimes be helpful. And so when you think about reading any text, say Genesis, I think it matters a lot to think about what context was this written in and who was it written to? Um, and what was, in what genre, what is the style of the writing and what does that style use to convey? And so for Genesis, um, this is written to a nomadic tribal people who are surrounded by polytheistic cultures and, and they have a, a very unusual monotheism and they're trying, and they're trying to understand who their God is and how, how it is, God is different from the, the gods and the, and the other cultures that they see around them. And, you know, I, I mentioned that these other cultures have their own origin stories. When you start looking at those, the Babylonian sort of origin story, you see some similarities, but you also see some really important differences. Um, the Egyptian as well, where you see that, for instance, in Egypt, the sun and the moon are gods in themselves, some of the highest gods within within their um, their their system. And and one of the things that God does in his creation story is not only does God create the sun and the moon, the sun and the moon is is secondary to God, but he makes it on the third, fourth day. Um, and sort of showing that this is the sun and the moon is not the God. I, God, am, am, am and above and separate from, from those things that those other cultures worship. You'll also see that God, God creates by just speaking words and beauty and order are created instead of many of these other creation stories, uh, where, where, where humanity and, and all of creation is formed out of violence and bloodshed. And so when you think about who the people were that this was being written to, the kinds of questions that they were asking about God and life um, and the, the, the environment that they were living in, what was written to them um, would have been interpreted by them a little bit differently than by a 21st century white female American uh, and the questions concerns that I have. And as a culture, our culture is much more concerned with, with accurate scientific historical accuracy, sort of thanks to the enlightenment than the early Israelites were. And so we are, we are sort of programmed to read this text in that way to say like, well, it's telling this story. And so this must have historically literally happened when maybe what God was trying to communicate wasn't a journalistic account of material origins, but a theological account of who he is in relation to, into, to humans and to the rest of creation. And if, so if Genesis is a theological account of origins, setting up the relationship between God and creation and humanity, and not a, a story of material origins, then the Bible isn't offering a story of material origins. And that leaves science free to which science is a really great tool for studying material, natural processes. It leaves science open to explore that question without, a com without offering a competing story to the Bible because the Bible doesn't offer one. Um, and so then science is free to do its science thing. And, and the Bible is free to, to do its theological thing. Um, and I think, uh, so for me, I don't remember what the question was, but for me, that's how I kind of think about Genesis and scripture and, uh, and how those two can fit together. And, and for me, taking the time to understand the, the cultural background and do what I can to learn about the original languages it was written in is a way of, of treating the Bible with respect and taking it seriously and trying to, to understand it at its deepest level instead of 
instead of bringing my own 21st century easy sort of simplistic reading to it. Yes, and I think the argument that you mentioned, Christine, where people say that the Bible is the authority, I, I know many fellow Christians who would say that that is elevating the Bible to the fourth member of the Godhead. But uh, I, I think you, you've really, you really hit the crux of the matter because oftentimes the isms, whether it's, oh, I'm going to, now I'm not speaking for biologos, I'm speaking for myself here in Sparrow's Call. I think the isms, whether it's creationism or Calvinism or dispensationalism, are systems meant to make sense of the Bible and to make it one voice, to make it a univocal voice. And academics don't quite see it that way. And so when somebody says the Bible's the authority, they usually mean my interpretation of the Bible is the authority. And what I like about Biologos here, now I will say one of the things that really impresses me about your organization is that it doesn't just treat the symptom creationism. It, it, it actually does um, introduce us to important voices like John Walton or Bishop Wright or even Scott McKnight, these uh, theological voices that say we might be reading the text wrong. Let's, you know, circle back and revisit this. But you also introduce us to uh, great scientists that 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 have you know, speak with a voice of expertise there. So is that, was that really the brainchild of Francis Collins when he set up BioLogos? I, I know he was surprised when he became a Christian that there mm -hmm. really was so much science denial and animosity in American, in Western Christianity. Mm -hmm. So um, how much uh going forward are you going to focus on on this idea that uh may quite possibly maybe the worst character mischaracterization of of your organization is that you're anti-bible <laughs> um online yeah. you know that's what i hear i i see you and and forgive me for prolonging this i i do see biologos uh, as a safety net for people who are deconstructing, um, you're mm -hmm. kind of the last person they may see, you know, walking out of Plato's cave. And some people don't stop; they they go all the way to deconversion. And you mentioned that there was nobody out there when you were in college that actually was mm -hmm. saying it's quite possible that God is the agent of creation, but he 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 used evolution as an instrument. Um, so how, how do you answer that um, when you're mm -hmm. when you're considered by I've heard voices online saying you, you, your organization doesn't believe in the Bible or you're anti-Bible, you don't take a view on inerrancy. Is that purposeful? Yeah, I think um, one of the defining characteristics of BioLogo, something that we as a staff spend a lot of a lot of time talking about. We spent an hour in our staff meeting last week um, talking about this idea of gracious dialogue. What does it mean to be in gracious dialogue with people who have different views than us? Um, and that is really inherent to our mission and our identity that we we are fully aware that we are one viewpoint among many on on these topics of science and faith and and we want to engage with others and uh, about what they think and why and um our goal is not to go out there and browbeat anyone into agreeing with us um in many ways we feel like kind of like you mentioned that a lot of christians out there just don't know that there there are other believers who take for instance, evolution, um, to be consistent with their faith. Um, the, the number of times that I've met teachers and, and at, at Christian teacher organization, um, meetings, conferences, and tell them what I do, um, and they, they're, they're sort of smiling and nodding along, and then all of a sudden I start talking about evolution, and they kind of stop, and they, like, I had someone interrupt me and say, like, I'm sorry, did you just say that you accept evolution? and you're a Christian and, you know, their job was on the floor. And so a, a lot of what we do is 
purely awareness that this is an option um, amongst other faithful options for a Christian. Um, and again, John John Walton has been a big um, uh, uh, inspiration for me. I heard him tell a group of science educators recently that um, responding to a teacher, a young earth creationist who was worried that telling students that you could accept evolution and faith was was harmful to their faith or um, or confusing. And he sort of, he thought about it as, like you said, talking to that person who's on their way out of the church and the inconsistency, the perceived inconsistency between science and faith is, is a deal breaker for them. And his thought was essentially, I'm speaking to that person in the back of the church that, um, that needs to know that there is an option here, that there is a way that you can have you can have hold on to your faith and engage seriously with science, and those those don't have to be incompatible. Um, and and let me show you some options for how how you do that. And there there will always be people who feel very strongly, based on their reading of the Bible, that that there is no way to bring science and faith into into harmony with each other. And we are. To, to those people, we are we are happy to be in conversation with them, to to hear what they have to say, and to share our thoughts, and be in respectful, gracious dialogue with them. Our experience is that often they are not interested in in sharing those that type of dialogue, and that's okay. Um, but if if you are interested in being in conversation with us, we would love to hear from you and and share our thoughts and learn from each other. Um, and I think part of gracious dialogue is also understanding when it's it's no longer gracious or dialogue and being okay walking away. Yeah, we're 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 fans of John Walton too. Um, love that saying that the Bible is written is not written to us, but is written for us. Uh, he also says something um, that God made us more than what He made us from. Um, mm. that I really like that idea too, that, uh, it doesn't matter what our background is, uh, on multiple levels really. Um, but that he transforms our lives and makes us more so that that's a kind of a beautiful idea. So, um, in, in my area, there's an apologetics conference that comes every year. And uh, um, they they have a couple people who who often use this example of the Big Bang as an apologetics to to support um, the belief that God exists, and and they use it in a very scientific way rather than like a metaphysical or philosophical idea that that because there is a Big Bang, there must be a Big Banger to start off the whole universe. Um, what do you what do you think of that, uh, given your background in astronomy and, uh, you know, maybe what we don't know about the earliest moments of the universe with not having uh, not understanding like a quantum gravity yet or having this, you know, grand universal theory mm -hmm. to pull it all together. Uh, is that like a God of the gaps argument? And uh, are they overstating their case? Is this is this a good way to convince students to believe that God exists? Yeah, I mean, I'm personally, I'm always going to be wary of any scientific argument to support the existence of God. Again, this comes back to this understanding of the nature of science. And science is a tool. And just like any tool, it has tasks that it is really well designed to accomplish and other tasks that it is it's not going to be successful at. You know, I tell my students that if you have a hammer, a hammer's really great at, at, at running a nail through a piece of wood. It's really terrible at painting a landscape picture. Um, for that, you're going to need a paintbrush. And so um, science is a great tool at understanding our natural world and the, the mechanisms and the phenomena and the content at, at work in the natural world. Um, but but God is not part of the natural world. Uh, he created it, but he is, he is fundamentally separate and apart from it. And so um, science is limited to asking and answering questions within that natural 
physical world context and giving us insight into those sorts of topics. And so, you know, I think sometimes we can gleam glimmers and whispers of God, and I certainly find personal sort of devotional inspiration um, from from the Big Bang, amongst other science components that that feel consistent to me with God and maybe even um, sort of bolster my faith in his existence, but I would never claim that they are proof or evidence um, of God as, a, as an apologetics um, sort of argument. The thing that I will say, though, about that, that topic is that it's, it is at least marginally better than, than rejecting the Big Bang approach at all and saying that that is atheistic. Uh, and one of the things that I love talking to my students about is actually the history of how Big Bang cosmology developed as a model within modern astrophysics, because it's, it's not what most people think. Um, prior to the early 1900s, the assumption within the astronomical community was that the universe was static. It was a current size, a current composition, a current structure, and it was unchanging and eternal. Always had been, always would be exactly exactly structured as it was. Um, and, you know, given given a lack of evidence to the contrary, that is a, a an appropriate assumption for the community to have made. Um, and so it was actually quite a, a revolutionary idea and challenging for many scientists when George Lemaitre, supported by, with evidence from Edwin Hubble, proposed this idea of an expanding universe. And if the universe is currently expanding, then it must have been smaller in the past and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to this infinitely small, infinitely dense point of, of space from which everything expands. Um, and there was there was mixed results with or mixed response within the the scientific community when this this idea was first put forward in the the 1920s and there were some not all by any means but there were some within the scientific community who actually rejected or resisted this idea of an expanding universe exactly because it felt too theistic, um, because it implied a temporal beginning to the universe. Um, Fred Hoyle is a classic example of a scientist who, um, who for fairly outspokenly philosophical and religious reasons, uh, rejected Big Bang cosmology, even as the evidence built and built to support it. Um, so I think that's really interesting for a lot of Christians. Big Bang is almost synonymous with evolution as a, a scientific theory that is used to explain away God. And so it's interesting that people to hear that historically it was actually initially interpreted to be very consistent with Christianity, as it were. Um, and but I but that I wouldn't take it the next step to say that it is a a proof or evidence for it is a point of of consistency, if you will. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, John, you have one? I do. Um, you're going to hate me for this, but I'm going to uh, take take an angle from uh, my atheist friends. Um, I've heard Michael Shermer. I've heard Richard Dawkins. I've heard Christopher Hitchens when he was still here with us all express shock and dismay, really, that their friend Francis Collins or even Kenneth Miller um, hold to some kind of faith construct when they're so brilliant in the world of science. So I want to ask you personally, how do you how do you answer the materialist when he 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 comes at you from that angle and is able to point? I know a lot of my fellow Christians kind of take cheap shots at Richard Dawkins because of the way he he talks about Christians, but many of the Christians he talks to um, aren't like Francis Collins. They're kind of more like the Ken Ham or Frank Turek mm -hmm. variety. So, so let me um, throw in that. Your answer to the materialist one, and then ha have you personally been questioned about why you retain a faith? One of the first... Um, comments we had online after Christine and I interviewed John Walton was, you Christians seem to have to reinterpret your scripture uh, 
after science drags you kicking and screaming to reality it is a legitimate it is a legitimate um i'd say critique what do you say to that no but we don't just change our theology then we have forty thousand denominations that change their theology for every other reason too we just, we just yeah. split off from each other and take different approaches no um christine you're not are... helping <laughs> yeah those are those are two slightly different questions. Um, let me think. The um, the the second one um, about reinterpreting the Bible. Um, this is this is this is my perspective, not necessarily that of you know. I won't claim this as a biologos viewpoint in particular, but um, personally, I'm okay with the Bible needing to be reinterpreted. Um, and I think part, not to say that what the Bible means changes, and it certainly not sort of can be interpreted to whatever I want it to mean in a given day, um, although I'm certainly um, subject to my own biases and preferences in that, as anyone is. Um, but I think that um, uh, God's God's truth is um, who God is, is consistent. Um, but how we understand that and apply it to our lives and changing contexts um, can, can look different, I guess, in different, in different times. And, um, and we're never going to get it right. Just like you're, you're never going to understand God perfectly. Um, I heard someone say that we we're always going to try to put God in a box to define what he is and how he works. Um, and that's the way our brains works psychologically. We want to kind of have those constrained boundaries and, and, and periodically God's going to show us that he's bigger and doesn't fit in that box that we've built and it's going to break and it's going to expand. And we're going to have to try to, and we're, we're inevitably going to probably build a bigger box and then eventually he'll probably break that one too. And it'll, it'll keep expanding, not because who God is, is changing, but because he's bigger and, and, and richer and, and deeper than we can, can ever conceive of. And so anything that's pushing you to have a, a, a bigger understanding of, of who God is, um, is probably a good thing. And I think scripture, um, while not a deity in itself, I, I think can work in the same way that there's, there's always more truth in there. Um, and, and we keep looking at it and trying to, to understand it. And we bring to bear our, our modern understanding. And I think science is a God-given tool to help us understand the natural world. And the more we understand science, it's, it's like, it's like having a, um, a better prescription on your glasses that that things come in a little into a little bit better focus um, as you better understand it. And so before modern science, um, we didn't have any reason to think that, you know, to 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 interpret Genesis in a non-literal way, although actually people prior to to modern science, many of them still didn't interpret it literally. Um, but I think that's OK to, to have a bit of a dynamic reading of scripture. Um, and science also works the same way. We, we like to pretend that science is this nice linear process that we ask a question, we do an experiment and we get an answer and it's set in stone and we move on. Um, but I think, I mean, even, um, uh, COVID is a great example of how science is tentative and there's always new data and new observations that are, that are refining what we thought we understood. And we, we make tentative claims that are up for reevaluation based on additional data. And I think, um, I think Bible interpretation can kind of be similar in that way. Okay. You answered um, my second question. I'm going to make the first question more pointed. Okay. Here, here we go. Uh, the Pope, uh, Luther and Calvin were all wrong about astronomy, right? And yes. the church for some, for a couple hundred years longer than others, um, they're wrong about common descent with modification. Much of the church is wrong about the COVID crisis and you, you see them rallying to not wear masks or take vaccines. Much of the church is is saying that climate science is a hoax. 
Um, so I'm going to ask you very pointedly, if you have the mind of Christ and you have the, the advantage of the Holy Spirit, you see things beyond that of the natural man, why has the church been so wrong for so long and how can we trust them with the metaphysical when they can't tell which end of the gun the bullet comes out with the physical? I think we've got about 30 seconds left in our uh, conversation here, so I'll be quick. Um, yeah. No, I am, um, I mean, you're right. That is a conundrum that we at BioLogo spent a lot of time thinking about is Christians should be the people who care about the environment, especially when climate change is, is harming um, the poor and the marginalized, most of all, it's it's not Americans who are going to suffer the worst consequences of of climate change, at least not not across the board. Um, and if we believe that God created the natural world and gave us these minds capable of rational thought and and experimentation, then then shouldn't our science um, be be an asset to us better understanding God and who he is and how he works, not a not a potential source of of contradiction. Um, I, I, I think that that's um, I think that that's the, I, that's what that's my desire for the church. That's how I see the relationship between science and faith. Why the church historically has struggled with that has as many answers as cultural and historical contexts, um, many of them having to do with power, many of them having to do with certainty. I think that's probably the, the simplest answer is that we humans love simple black and white answers that we can draw a line in the sand and put a stake in a whatever mixed metaphor um, and and have confidence that this is the right answer and everyone else is wrong and this is our in-group and that's our out-group and we are wired to think that way. Um, and, and science is one among many topics for which Christians have um, often sat, un often unfortunately, um, drawn those lines in places that have not proved tenable always. Um, and so, I would I would hope that the church would come to see science as as a gift to understand God as something that we don't need to fear but a way of of learning more about him and his creation um, and is that going to be uncomfortable and challenging and maybe make us rethink some things that we thought we knew absolutely um, but I think that's what the faith journey is is being challenged to consider new ideas and um, and and see where they lead you and i guess you know the reason why i studied religions not christianity but religions in general in college was that committing your your life to the story of the gospel and the person of jesus and living according to that is a massive commitment and one that that comes at a cost and if that was a cost that i was going to pay with my life i wanted to understand what the other options were and make sure that i was choosing the one that that made the most sense, um, and and uh, and was was worth it. And so, I think Christians shouldn't be scared of asking these hard questions because either they're going to find that their their faith is as solid as they probably hope it is, and it will be worth following, or maybe they'll find that they that some other answer is more compelling. And I'd I'd want to know if there was a better answer out there to these questions. And I think that's okay to explore. I want to give. Christine, the last word here. I'd just be remiss for not mentioning uh, how valuable I found your introduction, Biologos, uh, introducing me to the work of Pete Enns and also mm -hmm. to Dennis Venema. I know there's many other worthy people we could mention, but those two personally for me have really uh, helped me grow. Christine? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. So when I was sharing um, the link to this and kind of spreading the word on, on Facebook and elsewhere, uh, I had several people who wanted me to ask this question. Uh, and since we've been talking about COVID a little bit, uh, I think it, it fits. Um, so BioLogos has been pro-vaccines and pro-masks, and I'm sure you've had some pushback from some aspects of Christianity. Um, 
but I, I also know there are some who wish you'd taken a harder standard or or maybe updated wording when more information became available, um, say that vaccines maybe don't directly stop transmission of, of um, COVID. Maybe just it's more of an indirect reduction. Uh, and, and maybe there hasn't been enough said about air quality and the use of air purifiers and ways to make environments safer for people, particularly those who are medically fragile and the elderly. And um, so, so what, what's kind of the, the Biologos um, big picture on these ideas? And uh, is there more that you can do to make, I, like I keep wondering when I go to church and they have these fans on the ceiling and sometimes they're running and sometimes they're not, which is better. And um, mm -hmm. wh what can we do to help churches understand that maybe these small steps we could take could make the building safer because we're doing better, a better job of circulating the air. And um, are, are there things that we could still do that maybe aren't, um, th that would just help some of the people who are still feeling like they're, they're, they're still sheltering in place because of their medical situation. How can we be an encouragement to them and, and maybe help with some of these other issues too? Yeah. Um those are all great points. Um, it's a definitely a complicated topic and one that the science is, is continuing to, to give us increased clarity on. Um, I'm not going to be able to give you a terribly satisfactory answer as far as Biologos' approach. Um, I have only been at the organization for about a year and so I was not present when during sort of the, the critical time around um, the beginning of the pandemic and the statement that we, um, we put forward that we got signatories to around supporting the vaccine and masking. Um, so I'm just not privy to, to organizationally how those decisions were made and things. Um, um, so I, I can't really give you much insight on that. Um, but I can say that the, we absolutely agree that in, in questions of COVID, a big consideration is, is caring for each other and loving your neighbor. And, and that includes the, the medically complex, the elderly, um, and church is a complicated setting in which you're trying to all, all come together in the same space to worship and sing um, and do all of these things and yet not wanting to, to share a potentially deadly virus. And, um, it's complicated, and um, I, you know, I, I would direct you just to uh, someone who has more expertise in infectious disease and that sort of thing to answer those more specific questions. All right. Well, we're having Deb Harsma, Dr. Harsma, on next week, on Friday, February tenth. So Perfect. I'm sure I'll throw you should that ask question. Her that. <laughs> I will. I will. Uh, she, I'll just punt up to my boss. We're really looking forward. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to having her too. And we're really thankful that you joined us today. Uh, what a wonderful yeah. conversation. Faith, thank you. Oh, it was Just great don't, being here. don't tell Deb that we gave you a hard time, okay? <laughs> no problem. Thanks for awesome. joining well, this us. This was really great talking with you both. Yeah. There's thank three you. doctors. Really there's three doctors online that want us to continue, but uh, we can't do that to Faith. Faith, right. thank you. Integrate, check it out. All right, ladies, yeah. we'll see you next time. Bye bye. All right, thanks.